Well, we are all aware of the terrible tragedy that occurred this week in Connecticut, and I'm sure as much on our minds over the weekend with the, the things that are going on there. And as we, we're still going to continue in our same series, but I wanted to address some of the things that had happened over there, and, and uh, specifically, how are we supposed to pray for people in tragedy? When people have such tragedy like that going on in their lives, and you know, you know that's awfully hard for folks to send their kids off to school and find out that they are not coming back. Uh, we just couldn't even imagine what that would be like. But how do you pray for folks in that condition? What do we pray? And a lot of times we have, uh, on our own, prayed for things that are kind of odd when we think about it and just not really all that helpful. We know that 20 children died in Friday's attack and a number of uh, adults, teachers, and those who tried to protect the children. But there are other ways that children are, are dying, but we tend to have our focus on tragedies. 20 children died on one day, but according to the statistics, more than five children, over five children right now are dying per day because of abuse. That number was three in 1998. It rose to four in 2003. It rose to five in 2010. It's over five now. I don't know if it's quite approach six, but if we think about that every week, five children die a day. That's 35. That's more than happened on Friday. But that doesn't get our focus. The number one death of children is car accidents. Either hit by them, in the cars. There are a lot of other ways that tragedy is coming in this form for parents with children. But we focus on this one. And of course, our government has been so bent on getting guns out of the hands of people, they will use this for no other reason than to try and get guns out of the hands of people and not take care of the problem. And as Ethel was talking about the different posts that were up there, you, can't, you cannot legislate people to be good. If we, were, if we could do that, all the things we've made illegal would have stopped things. And they don't. I saw some stats. I didn't bring them over here for you. But the, you can actually look them up if you want to. If you, I mean, if you know, know about it, you can go out there and look at it. The states that have the right to carry and conceal a weapon have lower crime rates than the states who do not have such laws. The states that have the strongest gun control laws are the states with the highest crime rate. Examples, New York, California, very strict gun control laws and the highest crime rates out there. Go down to Texas, the crime rate is lower. Why? Because the bad guys have to remember the good guys have guns. And they have to think twice before they go out there and do it. And that right there is a, is a hindrance. Well, there was a lot of things that went wrong on Friday that allowed for such a tragedy to go on. And we're not really here to debate all that. People will debate it, and sometimes they're going to do some good things to help that out, and some things they're going to do are, are not right. I was talking to um, a friend of mine who uh, uh, I've talked about him a few times here at church, not too often, but a few times. We brought up some of the stories from college. He was my freshman roommate, one of them. He was a junior. Uh, the other two of us were freshmen. And he is the one who corrupted us. I've already told him that. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun with each other and talking about some of those things. But I was a mild-mannered, quiet kid when I went to college, and I came home different. And that's the fault of Bob. It's all his fault. I blame it all on him. He blames things on me too. So we're, we're good that way. We, we, we've uh, gotten in touch again over Facebook. And I saw some of the posts that he was posting. So I sent him a, mo a note that says, Bob, are you near here? 
And he said, my home, or either the home I think he grew, either raised his kids in or the home he's in now, I'm not sure which one, uh, is a half mile from the school, and his kids used to go to that school when they were young. They, they're older now. They don't go to that school, but when they were younger, they went to, went to the school there. So uh, he's, he's right in the thick of it, of ministering. And he's, uh, boy, I tell you, he's on fire, Christian. I see some of the things he puts up there, and he's just going to town for God, <laughs> doing all sorts of stuff. It's real neat to, to see that. So we got a good worker right there, and I'm sure he's got a lot of people around him that are helping these people out and ministering to them. But as I was meditating on this uh, over the weekend, you know, what kind of, how do we pray for people in tragedy? The first thing, of course, that comes to mind is what not to do. Because a lot of times we've done things and because we just don't know how, you know, we don't know what to do, but we want to do something. Isn't that, isn't that right? How many of you have ever had a problem in your, in your house? You don't know what to do, but you feel like you ought to do something. <laughs> and, well, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> we need some knowledge. We need some understanding how to, how to do things. The first time that you take on a plumbing, I mean, it's, plumbing is scary. When you're dealing with uh, torches and solder and metal pipe, it can be very intimidating. It can be very scary. Uh, electric work. You know, the, the thought is, I'm going to touch this and die. <laughs> it can be very scary. The, you're not quite sure what, all, what to do. The first time you get up on a roof to fix something on the roof, you may feel like you're going to fall over. And, of course, you won't. You'll, you'll be fine. But after a while, going up there on the roof and doing stuff, you can get over that fear and you can get up there and accomplish some things. But, you know, you got to know the right thing to do. If you don't know the right thing to do, you can cause a problem. So we went over this first, what not to do. Here's one thing that when people pray, and we're going to hit this from a couple of different directions, uh, Father, be with them. <laughs> well, I put it here in your outline. What does that mean? We're not to say phrases in prayer. We're to ask for things. Now, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be with, without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're asking for God to be with them and that God has left them, then that's the wrong prayer. And if you think, well, I just never pray that God be with them, I'll take you over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salvation of Paul with, with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Verse 17 again, the salvation of Paul. I'm sorry, verse uh, 16. The Lord be with you all. Now, if Paul's praying it, we can't necessarily throw the whole thing out, can we? Because Paul prayed it. <laughs> the Lord be with you all. But when he is saying the Lord be with you all, what is his context? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. He's talking about the Lord being with them in a, in, in a form of peace. Now, we've talked about praying for peace. We know some of the things that are involved with that. But he's saying the Lord be with you. He's got a purpose in mind. He's got something in mind. When you say Lord be with them, you can pray that. But what do you have in mind for God to be with them for? If you're talking about his very presence, well, he's always there. What are you asking God to be there for them for? And in order for that to happen, you have to have some knowledge. Paul had knowledge of the people he prayed for. He had some understanding of that. Romans 15, verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Well, apparently you can pray that because he prayed it right here. We know that he is the God of peace. So you can pray 
Father be with them, but you need to know what are you, what are you praying for? What are you asking for? Sometimes we're just kind of saying a phrase and it just makes us feel better. Well, I prayed for them. Number two, Father, help them. Well, in what way? In what way are you asking God to help people? You've got to first off know what God can do. You can't ask God to do things he can't do. So you've got to know what God can do. And know what the people will allow him to do. How many times we see in the Bible that people stop God from doing what he wanted to do. So you've got to know what are the people allowing God to do. And what is God able or willing to do in that situation. And then pray it. Now see that takes a little bit more than just sitting down and just, well, Father God, just help them out. Oh, they're just going through a tough time. Just help them out. That's not quite the way we ought to be praying. Hebrews 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace are helpful. In time of need, those things are, are, are a good thing. And we need to find out what is it that we need to pray for. What is it that God has that God is able and willing to give, and what kind of things uh, do they do they need? What kind of things are they willing to believe God for? What kind of things are they in a position for God to do? You got to know some of these things. If you don't know it, then you can't necessarily pray that very well, not pray effectively. And this is about praying effectively. Number three, Father, let them see your purpose in this. <laughs> we don't have to elaborate on this a whole lot, do we? But we're always going over this thing that God does not allow anything to come into my life that he does not have purpose for. And see, that's a crutch that a lot of people hang on to. Because this means that whatever comes, well, it's, it's not going to kill me. It's not going to destroy me. It's, uh, it's, God's going to use it to help me and so forth. The enemy is out there. The enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy is sending things our way for the purpose of destroying you. If you look at them as, well, this isn't all that bad. Oh, we can do okay with this. No, you've got to understand there's some dangerous stuff out there. And if it comes over your way, you ought to get rid of it. You ever play that game hot potato? You know, you got the hot potato. you got to get rid of the thing. It's not holding on to it. It's, well, we'll just see if it's God's purpose that it go off when I'm holding it. That's not the necessarily the thing. If you're out there at war and they throw a grenade your way, what do you do? Well, I guess it's God's will that this come into my life. I guess he must have some purpose for this grenade falling next to me. I don't want to run from it. <laughs> That's crazy. That's ridiculous. That, that grenade was put next to you for the purpose of destruction. The enemy wanted to see you dead. And what do you need to do? Get away from it. Neutralize it. Do something. But you don't want to be by there with these kind of things going on. And just kind of lay him. By the side, but see, this is what people sometimes do. And if we pray, well, Father, just let them see your purpose in it. That's not an effective prayer. That's a, that's a horrible prayer. That's telling God that you really don't know him. Don't be praying this way and don't be talking to people that have gone through a tragedy. Well, you know, God has some purpose in this. I mean, just hush your mouth. It's better that you didn't say anything at all that you say something like that. Because you're not helping these people out. They now think, well, God has allowed this baby to die. God has allowed this tragedy to come into my life for some purpose. I guess he just needed them more than I needed them. Oh, come on. God gave them to you for a reason. He wanted them to be here. He wanted them to enjoy life and serve him. And other people come along and they try and cut that short. That's not God. 
We'll get more into that as we get into things. So let's take a look at some things. What, what to do? Four things that we ought to pray for, for people that are in tragedy. Number one is comprehension. Comprehension. They need clarity on what, why, and how. When people are in a tragedy, they need to, they need to have some clarity on it. Why did this happen? How did this happen? You know, if you're in a, uh, there was a, a house that exploded uh, not too, too many weeks ago. It just blew up. And what did the people want to do when they came in? Why did it blow up? How, how did this happen? What caused this? That's the thing we want to find out. What caused the explosion? We want to find out. If tragedy comes, we want to find out why. How did it come? But you see, the enemy wants to come in and sow a wrong answer and blame it on God. You know, the, the blame games irritate me. People who play the blame games irritate me. Every time our president goes over and blames somebody else for something else that's going on, it irritates me. I like to have a president, a leader of our country, who stands up and says, I'm going to take ownership of this thing. Not I'm going to take ownership, but it's not my fault. That's not ownership. That's not leadership. That's horrendous leadership. You need to stand up and say, in your life, take ownership of what is yours. Take ownership of what you have done. And understand what you have not done and don't take ownership of those things. I am not responsible for that. I didn't do it. The devil did that. He brought that in my life. Don't you dare take ownership for that thing. Well, I guess I just did something that caused this thing to come into my life. If so, what? Well, I don't know. Well, how are you going to learn from it if you don't know? That's not going to be, that's not the way that you get there. This is not going, we're not learning from our history. You got to learn from the things that have gone on. And our government, our media is constantly trying to rewrite history. They're now trying to rewrite history that higher taxes are the way to, for us to get out of problems. But history tells us every time the government lowers taxes, what happens to the amount of money that's coming into the government? It increases because you're not putting that stranglehold on the economy. But they want to sell you on the fact that, well, it's the rich people not paying enough. And the rich people are paying more than their share. You just got almost 50% of this country that are on the receiving end. And uh, that's just tough for anything to, to do. That's not the, we're not learning from history. We're just taking what people say. Well, yeah, we're not right. The people in higher income brackets, the 1%, the 2%, they're not paying their fair share. That's garbage. If you believe it, you're, 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 you're just accepting stuff. Don't just accept stuff. Go out there and look it up. Check it out. Find out that's not the reason that we're in a mess. You don't overspend by $1.2, $1.4 trillion per year and not get yourself into trouble. You imagine that, overspending. Drive $6 trillion by four years. Actually, only three years, but overspending that much. And you blame it on taxes? Take some responsibility and understand we cannot keep spending at that rate. That's, that's, that's a problem. You need to understand why things happen. You need to understand the truth of why things happen so that you can properly fight, properly go after it, or change what you need to change. If you did something that brought a tragedy on, how many of y'all know you want to learn how to not to do it? So it doesn't come back. You need clarity on what happened. Why it happened, how it happened. 
Satan is the God of this world. We know in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. I want to read this for you in the New Living Translation. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They're not able to see it. The God of what world? This world. God is God in heaven. Now look at what Jesus wrote to us when he taught us how to pray. He was teaching the disciples how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means in heaven the will of God is always done. On earth, the will of God is not always done. But he's saying, pray that the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus himself is teaching us that what happens on the earth is not always the will of God. But if the enemy can get you to believe that it's the will of God, just like if people can get you to believe that our problems are the result of not enough people paying taxes or our problems with the schools is because people have guns. If they can get your focus off of these things and get you to focus on the wrong thing, then you try and solve the wrong problem. We looked at the other stat that uh, over five children a day are, are being killed. And this number has gone up every single year. It goes, you know, 5.2, 5.4. It just keeps going up until you, know, you got a whole another child who's dying per day. And what do we do? Well, we increase the government regulations. Has that helped? Hasn't helped at all. So what do we do? We increase the government regulations. It hasn't helped before, but it must, we just, we need more. It's, it's odd that when we didn't have any government regulations on this, the number was lower. Why was that? Because a long time ago, we used to change people. Now we're changing laws. God's not about changing laws. He's about changing people. God knew himself. The law is not going to cause you to be moral. The law is not here to make you righteous. Can't do it. It's just to point out the fact that you are not righteous. That's all that it's going to do. We need clarity. We need to comprehend. We need to know why these things happen. And first off, God does not cause it. There is no child on this earth that God has said, you know what, I want to bring that one on home. So I'm going to take them from you. That's ridiculous. That's not our God. God does not cause people to go into schools, buildings, offices, and shoot people. People do that. Guns didn't cause them to do that either. Most people own guns, don't kill people. Majority of guns are not involved in crimes of this nature. And back when the uh, football player... When he went out there and he killed himself and his girlfriend, what did they blame? The gun. <laughs> if he didn't have a gun, what do you think he would have done? You think they had any knives at home? You know that guns are not the number one way that uh, domestic violence happens? <laughs> you can't pull everything out of people's hands. If you take the guns and they use the knives and you take the knives and the guns, then there's uh, poisons. Take the poisons out, knives out, guns out, and they find another way. Then they got rope and they strangle people. 
And if you take the rope away from them, the guns away from them, the knives away from them, and the poisons away from them, then what else do they do? They have their bare hands. They use their bare hands. So now you take their bare hands away. You take their rope. You just keep on going. <laughs> and at some point, you've got to draw the line. You know the number one deterrent from people using guns against people? People with guns. That's the number one thing that will stop it. If I think that you got a gun, I'm probably not coming over you. <laughs> That's just, a, we'll go over there and get the easy target. What's, this, what's the most likely car to be stolen? One that's not locked. <laughs> right? No matter what make it is, if it's not locked. So, so if you want to deter people, lock it. I don't, that won't stop everybody. But they may as well go on and find something that's easier. If they can't find anything easier, then they come back to the locked ones. So yeah, sure, they can get a locked car open. But there's things you can do to prevent that. But legislating people to do it. So you need to first off pray that they comprehend what happened. Father God, I pray right now that you send laborers into that field. There are some of those families that are server, serving God. And let them understand that this is not God's purpose. This is not God's plan. There are some people who don't go to church at all. And they're going to blame God. Let people get in there and, and minister to them. You know, people like my buddy Bob and the people that are in his church, the people that are around him. They're, they're commissioned to going out there and to, to share with people, to talk with people. And I've already, heard him, I've already seen some of the things he posted up about this thing. He knows that God did not do this. He's not telling people that God did this or had some purpose behind it. He knows this is the enemy. And he's telling that to people that he comes in contact with. Glory to God for that. Number two, we pray for comprehension. We pray for comfort. Well, we all know that one, right? But comfort does not work by itself. Comfort has partners. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. One of the partners of comfort is the fear of the Lord. Now, you look at a lot of these people that go around who've had a tragedy come in. You listen to the way they talk. There is no fear of God in their talk. They are defiant of God. Can the comfort of God come in and minister to people who are defiant to him? No. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Comfort has partners. It doesn't go in there all by itself. The fear of the Lord is one of them. When people fear the Lord and have respect for the Lord, the Holy Spirit can come in and he can comfort them. But if you just sit there and say, oh, Father God, I just pray that you comfort them. And they're over there blasting God, saying all kinds of things against God. That's not going to help out the situation here. Comfort does not work by itself. Romans 15, 4 and 5. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There is Scriptures, they give us comfort, but there's also patience that's ascribed to that. And you need to have patience along with the comfort to know that the things that are in the Word of God, I need to be patient. But what happens when people have a tragedy? No, I need God to come and judge this now. I need this to be changed now. Patience is gone. When patience is gone, guess where goes? comfort goes? It goes out with it. 
Now may the God of patience and comfort, says it again, grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Here we have a partner of comfort as being patience. And so if the devil can get you out of patience, he can get you out of comfort. If he can get you out of the fear of the Lord, he can get you out of comfort. And you can be praying for comfort. And what happens to it? Not going to do anything. When we pray for people to be comforted, we say, Father God, I thank you that your patience is working in that person. If they step off of your patience, if they stop off of the fear of the Lord, I thank you for ministers who talk to them and pull them back in so that your comfort has something to work with. It'll work with the fear of the Lord. It'll work with patience. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 16 and 17. This is the big one. This, you'll see where this is where a lot of people have gotten off and are not comforted because they do not understand what this verse says. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, every good word and work. If you want the comfort of God to work in your life, stay busy. People who have gone through a tragedy sometimes stop. They don't go to work. They sit at home and think about it. They sit at home and mull over the tragedy that has gone on. And this is an area where the devil can come in on that playground and just how he can just mess with you. If you want the comfort of God to go on, you need to stay busy. You need to stay busy doing the things of God. What God has called you to do before the tragedy, He's called you to do after the tragedy. You don't stop. Stephen Curtis Chapman, you may know his story. He had a, a, a tragedy in his house and the adopted daughter that he had was killed by an accident in the, in the house. And I won't go over all the details of what happened in there. But you know what he did? He kept going. He stayed in the ministry. He stayed doing what he was doing, what he was called to do. He didn't stop. He kept on going. And you know what? Every time he thinks about that little girl going on home and how she was, she died, and even the person that was responsible, it was accidental, it was not intentional. But, you know, they, they feel sadness. They feel sorrow. But there's comfort there because we stayed busy. We stayed in patience. We, we stayed in the fear of the Lord. And comfort had something to work with. Comfort needs a partner. It's not going to be there by itself. If you sit there in a room all by yourself, you will not be comforted. You will be grieving. You will be mourning. You will be having a hard time. Days will get harder. Days will get longer. It's a hard thing to go back and keep doing, going at life the way that you have been going at life. But you need to do it. You need to keep going. Don't stop. These are things to do. Now, these are things you can do if tragedy comes into your life. But we're talking about how you pray for people. When you pray for people for comfort, you need to understand these aspects of comfort are involved. And you need to uh, incorporate them into your prayers. Talk about them. Father God, I pray that as the comfort of God comes in and, and works in them, that they stay busy. They keep doing the thing that you've called them to do. They don't give up. They don't just stop. They stay patient to see the things of God work out. They stay in the fear of the Lord. These are things we need to do. Second Corinthians, 
I didn't put this in your outline, but Philippians 4 and verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, do these things. When you do it, the God of peace will be with you. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as God has comforted you, you then go out and comfort them, other people, in the same way that God has comforted you. So that's one way that we, we learn about this, about what to do. But he is the God of all comfort. We can pray for God to be a comfort to these, to these folks, but understanding that comfort doesn't come by itself. Comfort is working with some other things. Number three, compassion. Tragedies can make us hardened. When tragedies come into our life, they have the opportunity to make us hardened to the things of God. We need to pray for them that they have compassion. Compassion for others. Compassion towards God. Compassion even for themselves. Remember in Luke chapter 15, we were told the story of the parable. We're not going to go through the whole, the whole story. But the, the, the son had gone off and he'd taken the, the riches of the father and he squandered them off and anyway got poor and he came on back home. And when the father saw him, the word of God tells us, says it this way. He had compassion on him. He had compassion on him and he threw him a big feast and they killed the fatted calf. And the young, the older son who was out in the field came home. He saw all the partying going on. He pulled a servant aside and he said, hey, what's going on? Well, your son or your, your brother, he uh, came home. And so the son is real upset. He won't even come inside. So the father comes outside to talk with the son, the older son. And he says, come on inside. You need to celebrate with us. He says, I've been serving you all these years. You never killed for me a fatted calf. He says to him, son, everything I have is yours. He wouldn't come in. Why? Because his heart was hardened. He saw this as a tragedy for himself. Half of our income is gone. Half of our riches are gone. Squandered by this man. And he comes on home and does this. He, he, he became hardened. Things come in our life and they have the opportunity to make us hard. You need to pray for people when you're praying for them in tragedy. Father, let the compassion of God spring up in them. That they do not become hard to the people that are around them, to God, to the principles of the Word of God. You need to pray for that. That's an important thing to pray for. In 1 Peter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers and be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Compassion and being tender-hearted, they come hand in hand. When you lose compassion for people, you become hard to people. How many of you know, folks, that have had a series of things go on, some tragedies or just some unfortunate things with people, and they have become hardened to all people? There's no compassion for those people. They want to see bad things happen. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love evil, or he would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. 
and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You need to understand, we are told to have compassion, not evil for evil, but you also need to learn this. This is Bible concepts. This is Bible truth. God is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The man who walked into the, into the school did evil. What is God's countenance toward that man? Religion would say, well, God is loving towards that one and God just wants that one. No, God is against people who do evil. In particular, God is against people who do evil towards other people, who seek to harm them, who seek to deceive them. God is against them. That's our God. Our God stands up and he defends them. Have you ever watched one of those movies and you know they got the bad guy in there or they got the bully? How many of you, how many of you ever loved the bully? You know, what happens as the story goes on and they, and they write it this way, they, they do it on purpose. What do you want to happen to the bully? Bad things. You want bad things to happen to the bully. You want the, pull, the bully to be stopped. You want the hero to rise up against the bully. Now, it's always the case that the bully is bigger than the hero. Go back in the movies and you watch. You will not find a hero bigger than the bully because you went inside with them as much. The bully is bigger. The bully is nastier. The bully is stronger. The hero is not. Hey, but a, a movie we all liked. So I know you, you probably enjoyed it. Anybody ever go watch that one, um, Back to the Future? That was a good movie. I enjoyed that movie. But Biff, who was the bully, was big. And the McFly, he was, he was small. He was innocent. He was a pushover. Didn't work out so well, did it? That, but, and see, but because he was the underdog, we all side with McFly, even though he wasn't a very likable character. We didn't necessarily like him as a character, but we felt bad for him. And um, God does not feel bad for bullies. But he doesn't care how big they are. He doesn't care if they're small. He doesn't care if they're the underdog. If you look to hurt other people, God is against you. If you look to hurt those that are his, he is really against you. But he's against anyone who comes against people. Dictators. God is against them. Because can you name a dictator that doesn't hurt his people? Right now we got people in the media that are talking, singing the praises of communistic governments. I don't know if you heard any of that. This week they've been uh, talking about communistic governments and how good they are and how much things they can get done. Because you don't have all that red tape and all that bureaucracy and, and so forth. They can just do things. And the governments in particular that you talked about, China and the Soviet Union, Russia, uh, all these, every single one of them 
in the communistic world killed many of their people. Mass murders. We're not talking hundreds. We're not even talking thousands. We're talking millions. Killed them. Slaughtered them. Mass graves. Lined them up. Shot them. They were gone. We know that Hitler put people in gas chambers, but there was a lot of other people he killed. Lenin and Stalin did the same thing in China. The abuses of people that went on there. The number of uh, babies that are killed in China because they're undesirable. Not to mention this country. Abortion is a huge... We probably, if we looked at the totals, I'm sure that more than five babies are aborted per day. I didn't look up that number. But we know that's astronomical, the number of babies that are... And we're, we're out there... We got people that are out there seeking to abort babies. Tragedies can make us hard. They can cause us to not have compassion toward God or toward other people. But understand, God is against those who do evil. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? We need to become followers of what is good. He has more good stuff to stay there. You can go and uh, read that. Jude chapter 1, verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. People who go around causing divisions do not have the Spirit of God. We got a lot of people in the media, a lot of people in government that go around trying to cause divisions. Don't tell me they're of God because God does not do that. God brings about unity. We got people in religious circles that are going around creating division. That is not God. We got people who go by the name of pastor and reverend who go about creating divisions. That is not God. He says it right here. They are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's having compassion. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. On what? On some. He does not teach that you have compassion on all. He says, have compassion on making a distinction. What are you making a distinction between? Those who are evil, those who are sensual, those who are causing divisions. You are not to have compassion for those people. You're not taught to have compassion for those people. These people are set against others and are going about causing harm to other people. Does not say that you have compassion for them. Did Jesus have compassion when he walked into the temple? Overturned the tables and said all manner of nice things about them? (laughs) That was not compassion, was it? We are not called to have compassion for all. This might set some of you free because you think, oh, I got to have compassion on these people who know they're doing nasty, mean things to other people. No, stand up against them. It's not right what they're doing. They're harming other people. They're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Making a distinction. You are spiritual. 
you are building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, you should be able to distinguish between those who are in a place to receive compassion and those who are not. Now, it doesn't mean if they're in a place where they don't receive compassion that you are always, you're never going to give them compassion. If they repent, if they turn, give them compassion. How many times do we see kings in the nation of Judah who are following after evil and they listen to the prophet only a handful of times, but they listen to the prophets and they turn back to God and what did they get? Compassion. All right, I'm not going to do this during your lifetime, he said to one. Do it in your sons. Ahab was told that when he repented. Uh, one other one too was, was told of that. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Sometimes you've got to have a lack of compassion for some people in order to help them. And that's what he's talking about there. Sometimes, you know, just being real, oh, well, I just have to have compassion on this person. We just need to be nice and we need to be... No! Sometimes you need to just stand there in the way of the, of the folks and just stop them from getting the thing done and be a force that way. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Pretty strong language. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. You are called to have compassion, but you have the called to have wisdom to know who to have compassion for. And who does not deserve your compassion right now? That's not how you minister to them. Jesus did not meet everyone with compassion. Did you see compassion going out to the Pharisees? See compassion going out to the Sadducees? How about Paul? How did he deal with the religious leaders of his day? You have great compassion for them? The Jewish people who kept stepping in the way and pulling people off of the truth? Did you have compassion for them? No. Face them differently. That's what it's talking about. You've got to make a distinction. There are some people that you need to stand up against, to stand in the way. You are not going to hurt these people. You are not going to do it. Psalm 78, verse. This, I'm just going to read you some scriptures here. It's not in your outline. If you want to write them down, you can. This is just talking about who God is. Psalm 78, 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and he did not stir up all his wrath. He had some compassion for some of them because he saw something in them. Something that he could work with. They deserve to be judged right now, but I see something. All right, I see something. I made a distinction here. There's something in them I can do something with. Let's try and work on that before we, just, before we destroy them. Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 111, verse 4. But he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 112, verse 4. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. Psalm 135, verse 14. For the Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Our God is a God of compassion. And we need to get that message across to people. But not everyone is going to get his compassion. Some people 
are in line to get his judgment. But our God is a God full of compassion. And that's what he wants to give. It's full of compassion. Notice it talks about him being full of compassion a lot. I don't really hear much about him being full of judgment. He will judge, but he's full of compassion. So pray for them in this way. This is really a, a big thing. People who have gone through tragedy, pray for them for the love of God on the inside of them, that the love of God is stirred up. Pray for them they have compassion for people, that they don't become hardened because of what a few people did. They don't become hardened to all. That they don't become hardened to God because they think that God did something against them. Pray for them to have compassion. Here's the fourth one. No compromise. When something happens we don't understand, we are tempted to alter what we believe to line up with what we see. Too often people do that. I believe certain things until something happens in my life and I'm not sure why that happened. Therefore, I will alter what I believe to line up with what I see. We see that in the Bible a number of times too, where people, all right, I'm going to believe this and believe in this and believe in this, but then things happen and I can't explain why this tragedy came into my life. I can't explain why I lost this. I can't explain why this happened this way. So therefore, I alter my belief. Well, if we alter our belief from the truth, then where did the new belief come from? What is false? The author of what is false. And we bring that into our life. And once we bring in some non-truth into our life that we believe is truth because it lines up better, then we're going to be lined up for some more. How many of you talk with people who have uh, said, well, I don't believe that everyone goes to hell and doesn't believe in Jesus? They believe that. Why do they believe that? Maybe because they're, maybe they are born again, but some people in their lives died and they didn't show signs of being born again. They didn't go to church. They didn't confess Christ. They didn't uh, live in a way that, uh, that showed that they were God-fearing at all. So, but they, they really liked them and they really want them to be in heaven. So they changed their belief. Well, I don't think that everybody got that because I have, you know, brother, sister, uncle, cousin, so-and-so and I really want to see them and I just don't think that's the way it is. I've uh, talked with people who have been real adamant that, you know, they're once saved, you're not always saved. You can fall away from salvation. And they believe that with everything in them until a relative of theirs has fallen away. I've numbered a number of times and a lot of times when I talk with Christians who believe this, I begin to feel out. I'll do this automatically. Just begin to feel out and talk to them about people in their life and find out, well, they had a son, they had a daughter, they had a, a, a brother or a sister. And uh, initially, they were following God, but they wandered away from it. And they can't bear the fact that they may have, they, they may have died in their sin and gone on to hell. And so they alter their belief to make room for this person to be in heaven. Well, once you alter your belief there, it's really easy to alter your belief in other places, isn't it? I, it's really easy for me to believe something until it changes my life in a negative way. And I don't like that so much. And so then we begin to compromise. People, a lot of you, you notice a lot of people out there who believe that Jesus Christ does heal, just not everybody. Right? I believe that God does heal, but I don't know that it's God's will to heal everybody. Well, why do you believe that? To a T. 
you will find out, well, I know someone and they were believing God, right? <laughs> and that what comes out of their mouth. Why? Because what they believed didn't line up with what they saw. When that happens, you have to make an adjustment. You either adjust what you saw or you adjust what you believe. And most people find it easier to adjust what they believe. And they will kick out what they believe for something else. And they will settle for a different different belief. Paul came into the Galatians and he taught them about righteousness. And that all you need to do is believe God and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ for yourself. And uh, he left and other people came in and says, well, Paul didn't quite teach you the whole thing. And they probably pointed out to them some situations, some reasonings. And the people who had the truth that Jesus Christ gave them righteousness, they had the truth about it, but they all of a sudden did what? They let the truth go. What does Paul write to them in Galatians? I am amazed at how quickly you have left the gospel for another. And the Greek actually says you left the true gospel for something that's completely different. When something happens we don't understand, we are tempted to alter what we believe to line up with what we see. And those people in Connecticut and those people in other places, when a tragedy has come into their life that is against what they believe, they are in a position to compromise what they believe. You need to pray for them. Father, I pray for those people. What they believe on the truth is not compromised. They hang on to the truth of God's Word. They hang on to the truth that you have taught them. They hang on, as hard as it may be, they hang on. They may not understand what went on, but they hang on to what you taught them. There's examples in the Word of God such as Israel. Israel believed that God wanted to take them out of Egypt until they came to the Red Sea. And they saw the Egyptian army behind them, the mountains on the sides of them, and the Red Sea in front of them. And what they saw changed their belief. And what came out of their mouth no longer did they say, God wants to deliver us from Egypt. What did they say? God has brought us out here to kill us. They changed their belief based on what they saw. And so then they saw the Red Sea open and they wandered right on through. And the army came after them and the Red Sea closed up and drowned them all. They saw that. And then they walked on from there and they came to a place in the wilderness where there was no water. And they said, God has brought us out here to kill us. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better if we were back in Egypt? And then they ran out of food. And they saw we don't have any food. And so they altered their belief again. They saw water come out of a rock. They saw food drop from heaven. They saw a Red Sea part and then close on their enemy. They saw plagues come, spare them on many of them, but plagued Israel or Egypt. They saw the most powerful king kick them out of the country and they plundered them with all their gold. They stood in front of a mountain and watched God rest on it in a cloud. Can you imagine that? Talk about a meeting. But after a number of days of watching that cloud rest on that mountain, they decided, you know what? 
We don't know what became of Moses. We need to pick another leader. And we need to go back to Egypt. How about the disciples when Jesus was crucified? Did they change what they believed because of what they saw? Jesus even told them, I'm going to be crucified. Third day, I'll rise again. But when he died, what did they do? Did they, did they, did they hang on to their belief? No, they changed it. Peter, John, James, one day I stood up and they, they said, well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I was doing before. How about Judas? Didn't Judas believe when he first jumped on when they were Jesus? But because he saw some things that he didn't like, he changed his belief that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. And he began to see himself as higher than him. And eventually, after he was stealing from the money, he eventually came up with a plan to turn him over to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, for 30 pieces of silver. People can change what they believe based on what they see. But you need to do this as well as pray for other people. Don't change what you believe because of what you see. Father, I don't understand. I, I believe this. I've, I've learned this from your word. This is what your word has taught me. I don't understand why this is happening. But I'm not going to change what I believe. I'm going to hang on to what you have taught me and you'll help me understand what's going on. That's what we need to do. If Israel would have come to the rock when there's no water and say, Father God, we thank you that you have brought us out here, that your purpose is to deliver us. We're not sure why we don't have any water. We don't have any food. But we thank you that you're here to deliver us. Do you think the outcome would have been better? <laughs> Surely would have been. I put this in your outline so you can understand this one. Until sinners... Oh, this is real profound. It's one of those real profound things you know you get. Until sinners are gone, sinning will continue. <laughs> right? Until sinners are gone, sinning will continue. Because there are sinners. In order to be a sinner, you must sin. So as long as sinners are here, we will have sinning. Now this second part is just as important as the first part. Sinners sin by doing actions against God. <laughs> right? I know that's real profound. But sinners sin by doing actions against God. So in order for sin to go on, people must act against God, which means they are doing things that God doesn't want, God doesn't will, and God has not purposed. And that's why we have sinners on the earth. But our job is to pray that the will of God, which is done in heaven, would also be done here on the earth. That's our job to pray that. It's our job to pray for these people who are going through some tragedies. But we need to pray in these areas. Know what you're praying for. And pray. It, it, you, we may have took us a little while to go through all these. It don't take long to pray these things. You can pray these pretty, pretty quickly. But this is what we need to be praying for. People that are going through tragedy, don't sit there and say, well, God, just you know, help them out. Well, just let them know you're around. Um, no. Pray specifically. Father, help them to comprehend what it is that's going on. What it is it that's happened with them? Help them to understand what it is. Not to settle for any kind of lie from the, from the devil, but let them have clarity and comprehend those things. Let them have comfort, but comfort as partners. And let those other partners come along. Let them stay busy. Let them walk in the patience of God. 
Let them stay in the fear of God. Let them have compassion for other people. Don't let that compassion be lost because of these things that are going on in their lives. Don't let them become hardened. Because you become hardened, you become res- God becomes resistant to you. And don't let them compromise on the things that they know and, are, and they believe and are true in your word. Let those truths rise up on the inside of them. And let them know our God is on their side. God did not want these things to happen. Evil people did it. But God does not stop evil people from doing evil any more than he causes righteous people to do righteous or cause evil people to get saved. Word of God tells us that it is his will that all come to a knowledge of him, saving knowledge of him. But not all do. So just because God wills it doesn't mean it's going to get done. And we can pray for these folks. Would you all stand up with me? Let's pray right now for these, these folks and others. Like we said, between the time that this happened, five children died of child abuse on Friday, average. Five people on Saturday, average. Five more today. How many of y'all know that's tragedy for those who were near those kids? Let's pray for the people that are going through some tragedies right now. Father, we just lift up these folks, especially the ones in Connecticut, but there's others where tragedy has come into their life. We pray right now that you would minister the power of God to them. First off, they have clarity. They comprehend what it is that is going on. They don't go in misunderstanding. But Father, you open up the lights of heaven that they see what it is that is going on. They see what came from the enemy. They see what it is that God is working and doing. They don't blame you for what the enemy does. But, Father, they, they have clarity and they see. Father, we thank you that you are able to open up their eyes, that they would comprehend, that they would understand. And we give you the praise and the glory for that. Father, we just thank you for the, the help. There's so many things that go on in this world we are not understanding of, but you're there to, to help us. I thank you for the comfort that comes from God. But comfort comes with its partners. It comes with those that help us out. The patience of God, the fear of God needs to be in our life. We need to stay busy doing the things that God told us to do. And comfort will be there. Father, I thank you that the God of comfort is with them. And that they give him opportunity to work. They give the Holy Spirit opportunity to comfort them. By staying in the patience of God. By staying in the fear of God. And staying on what God told them to do. We thank you, Father, that compassion will not die inside of these people. They will not become hardened to people that are around them. They will not become hardened to the things of God. But, Father, compassion will rise up on the inside of them. And well-placed compassion. Not compassion for all people, but for those that are in a position to receive it. And, Father, I also thank you that there will be no compromise on their part. They will not compromise the things that they know and believe that come from you. Father, there are some of those that are involved in these tragedies that don't believe in you. And we pray for them as well, that they would come to a saving knowledge of the truth. The devil means this for destruction. But you can take what he meant for destruction and turn it around for good. Take that as an opportunity for the light to come in. So, Father, we pray for each and every one of those families that's involved. We pray for those laborers and those ministers that are in that area, those pastors that are in the area, those uh, people who've been in those... Word churches 
have the word of God on the inside of them, that they go on out and teach and help and explain and minister that God is a God of love and compassion. And he had no purpose, and no desire for this to go on. We thank you, Father, for the help that you give each of those people there. With everyone still head bowed, eyes closed. If you have had a tragedy in your life that has caused you to have any of these side effects that we talked about, and you recognize it now, raise your hand if you want prayer here this morning. I've had some of those things that go on. Yep, see the one. I've had a tragedy go on in my life and it's caused me to have some things go on, change some, some thinking. Anyone else? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us, that you minister to us, that, Father, our, our hearts, our minds, our spirits are open to hear, to receive the things that you have to say to us. We realize that there are some things we do that aren't right, that need to be altered, and we're ready to hear and to grow. Father, it doesn't mean that you ever caused any of these hardships, any of these tragedies that have come into our life or in the lives of people near us for your purpose. The enemy brings them in for destruction, to harm people, discourage people, get them off of the truth. Father, we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Mercy, and Angela, if you would, uh, while you're over there, Minister with Tony, help her out with some of the things she was uh, raising her hand for on that. The rest of us that are here, you're going to run into people that are going to be unsure in this tragedy, and a lot of people are going to be blaming God for the things that are going on in this world. You need to know. You need to be able to commit these things to memory and to know these things so that God can bring them to mind. When you are ministering to these people, these come out. No, that's not our God. And, and, and talk with, with them. Enlighten them. Bring them to that place. And help them to, to understand. You are God's ministers. Every single one of us are. And you're going to come into people that need the knowledge that you have. Don't hide it. Don't, don't feel like, well, I can't say anything. No, you need to speak. You may offend some people. But you may set some people free. Take that opportunity. Talk with the people. Help them out. When you hear some folks that are talking about some things and you know they're off on some of this and are blaming God for some things, talk to them about it. Help them to, to see the truth in that.